Your patients are people who have a story, they're human, and understanding what matters to them, treating them like partners on the journey, that is what is most critical to the outcomes. And so that is a big part of our model is what is her story? Who does she see herself as? And how do we make sure that we share that amongst the care team so that we know who she is? Welcome to Humanizing Healthcare, where we talk with innovators and thought leaders who are working to make healthcare experiences more compassionate and rewarding for all. Our host is Chris Malone, founder of Fidelum Health and author of the award-winning book, The Human Brand, how we relate to people, products, and companies. Hi. I'm Chris Malone. I'll be your host for today's discussion. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Kendall Cannon, Chief Medical Officer at Herself Health. Welcome to the program, Dr. Cannon. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. To get us started, can you please tell us a little bit about your role at Herself Health? Yeah. So I am the Chief Medical Officer of Herself Health, and my role is really to help set the clinical vision for how we can redesign the experience of healthcare for women as they age. And so is there a story you can share with us about how you chose a career in healthcare and how that journey ultimately led you to Herself Health? So I actually became a doctor uh, because of my younger brother, who has special needs. And we, we moved a lot. My dad was military and we were stationed in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the hospital there took such good care of my younger brother that I had decided when I was about eight years old that I was either going to be an F-16 pilot like my daddy or I was going to be a doctor at this hospital and it stuck. And so I ended up back in Utah to go to medical school and stayed on and started working with Intermountain Healthcare after I graduated. I I did find that pediatrics was a little bit too emotional. And so it's interesting that I started to trend towards the older adult population. I started my career at Intermountain and even at this amazing health system, I actually was really struggling with how we were taking care of patients. It felt like we were all focused on the one problem in front of us and nobody was thinking about the whole patient journey. And I didn't understand why. That was part of what was most frustrating. I ended up spending time in quality improvement, hospice, palliative care, trying to find this kind of whole person approach and eventually ended up quitting and moving to Stanford to do a fellowship in healthcare innovation. And for me, that was an incredible opportunity to A, travel the US and see these care models and what people were doing. It also was a pretty big paradigm shift for me because I had gone into the program that's at the intersection of the business school, the medical school, and the design school. I had gone into it with two kind of core beliefs. One was that anything for profit was was evil, not just bad. uh, And that as a doctor, I should never talk about money. And it was interesting, the more I tried to get to the bottom of why can't I give people the kind of care they want, the more I realized it was about incentives. And so I ended up realizing that the best way to give people the care they wanted was to understand incentives. That is what led to my passion for value-based care and how I ended up in this model and kind of started me on my journey through building care models for, for startups. And so I built my first care model for a program of all-inclusive care for the elderly. If anyone's familiar with PACE, it's a beautiful model for people who are sick enough to need a nursing home, but want to remain in their homes. And it's 
this financially aligned, beautiful model. Um, I then was working with a group, realizing I wanted to move a little bit upstream to primary care to scale primary care to residents of senior living. And even in these kind of different care models, I I had had this passion for women's health and, and recognizing that women don't always receive the care in the way that they deserve. And when the opportunity to come to herself and redesign the care experience for both patients, but also for the clinical care team, that got me really excited. And so I joined Herself Health about six months ago uh, to design and build our clinical model. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that whole journey with us. Now, over the past few years, it seems like there's been growing interest in the idea that healthcare needs to become more human, I think especially since the pandemic. What are your thoughts on this? Does healthcare need humanizing or how does that fit into what you're doing? One of the things that's so hard is that people often feel unseen and unheard by our healthcare system. And so I was actually walking down the street in Minneapolis outside of one of our clinics and met a woman who asked me, what is herself? What are you guys doing? And I shared with her that we are a clinic. We are focused on women 65 plus. We're trying to change the experience of healthcare. And it was so interesting because she said, you know, I can't go to the doctor. And, and I, you know, kind of asked why. And what she told me was that she had healthcare trauma. She couldn't go without having a panic attack, even into the doctor's office, because she'd had such bad experiences of feeling blamed, of feeling attacked, of not feeling like anyone cared. That moment for me, I think, really beautifully describes how so many people feel in their experience with the healthcare system. So that's certainly a big opportunity for change, right? It is. And second, we did a research with about 700 women to try to understand their perceptions, their needs. And you know what they shared? They said they felt unseen, unheard, and blamed by the medical system. And so I think understanding how to help people feel seen, feel heard, making them human telling their stories, I think that is what healthcare needs. And so how is Herself Health addressing that opportunity? What are the things that you're doing differently in your work now? First, let me just tell you a little bit about Herself Health and Great. what we are. Herself Health was created because women have different medical needs than men do. They Absolutely. are have higher rates of Alzheimer's. They are four times more likely to be diagnosed with osteoporosis. And honestly, they're about a third more likely to be misdiagnosed with any of their conditions. And so this kind of combination of women often present differently than men, especially for cardiovascular diseases, and yet everyone is treated the same. And so we started to have hear these reports of women feeling unseen and unheard by the healthcare industry. And they felt forgotten and alone and without information, especially in those post-childbearing years. So given the overwhelming evidence that health and wellness is about more than just labs and imaging and medications and surgeries, we really are designed to focus on the whole person, understanding who she is, what is her story, and how does she think, feel, how is she connected with others? What is her community and her support group? That is really where we're talking about really fundamentally redesigning 
the idea of what it means to give primary care to women 65 plus. Amazing. And so I understand that this has attracted the interest of some, you know, outside healthcare as well. For instance, I understand that Her Self-Health recently completed a significant round of Series A funding with investors. How is that investment impacting the work that you're leading? It has been really fun to be able to bring, have additional resources in our ability to build and grow. We're really focused on a whole person approach, understanding what matters to her, And having this female-focused care, as well as building the community around women. And so in terms of that Series A raise, it is going to help our clinic expansion. We have opened our first clinic in January in Minneapolis, and we have three more coming this year. In 2024, we'll have additional clinics in St. Paul, and we'll open an additional market in a new state. Second, really kind of thinking about this digital and in-person and community offerings. How do we think about giving people care anywhere, anytime? And what is the technology needed to do that? Because the typical system is so disjointed that you can't get care in the way that you want or need. Lastly, really growing the number of clinicians that we have. And so we're building a team of world-class physicians and nurses, medical assistants, nurse practitioners, to serve women 65 plus, and we're using that funding to help recruit new and amazing talent. So how's it going at the Minneapolis Clinic so far, and what are you learning? We are growing uh, even faster than we anticipated. And for me, this is incredibly motivating because it means that there was a need, this is a fit, and that it is resonating with people. I remember the first time I heard this idea of let's give care that's focused on women I I remember thinking, why does that not already exist? Like, it seems so obvious. And similarly, it's felt like it's been obvious to our patients. They are also surprisingly engaged. The Herself women want to be part of this community and family that is kind of our goal to help facilitate within and among women. Uh, We also keep hearing people say that they feel seen and heard for the first time which to me, that is the goal of what we're doing is to help women receive the care that they want. And our clinical team has been stars in helping us continue to learn and design and make something better. Can you share some examples of how the experience is different for women when they visit this clinic in Minneapolis versus perhaps the traditional primary care provider? Let me tell you about one patient in particular that sticks out in my mind. She is a woman who is a housewife, And her story was that she didn't like the dishwasher situation when she was a younger woman. And so she went out as a scientist, designed a new type of dishwasher detergent, scaled it nationally. And when she came in to talk to us, we asked her, tell us about you. Tell us your story. And she was a little scared. She'd never had anyone in healthcare answer that. And so what was so fun to me was to see her open up and share her story as a a scientist, a founder, a creative, and see this relationship transform from an old woman who has the same medical conditions as everyone else. This story of this is an 82-year-old woman with a history of diabetes and hypertension. That's the language we use in medicine 
to hear and see the transition of her as a person. That to me kind of shows a big part of the difference between the interaction that most people have at a clinician office and the interaction at her self-help. I think that's a really great example. And it not only kind of illustrates how the experience is different, but to see that person as not just a patient in the context of healthcare, but as a person with a story is how a relationship starts, right? It's not a transaction. It's more of a relationship. And that I think is a more human way for care experiences to unfold. It is. It's about making someone human, making them a person, telling their story. And so that is a big part of our model is what is her story? Who does she see herself as? And how do we make sure that we share that amongst the care team so that we know who she is? How does this play out differently for members of your care team? What is the experience like for them? It has been really rewarding to see the way that the clinical team gets to experience care. Uh, They also, for the first time, often feel seen and feel heard. They're getting to help design something better. We have a lot of people who come in and say, I, I wanted to do it differently, but in the healthcare system I was at or in the big company, I would give feedback that never went anywhere. And so they're feeling seen and heard, and they're also able to build these relationships. They feel connected to their patients. That has been, I think, the real difference in terms of their experience. I think part of what really, for me, has separated the group is part of who we look for when we hire. When we hire, we try to find people who have a woman-centered approach to care. They want to provide care that women want. They want to understand what that means. They want to listen. That is not necessarily the way all of us were trained in school. And so those are the types of people we want to bring in. And so especially for them, this experience has been completely new in what they wanted. We are also really looking for folks that have a higher risk tolerance. And by that, I mean that much of our training, it teaches me that my job is to make someone go to the ER. My job is to force them to take their medicines for diabetes. My job is to tell them that what they should do. And in reality, that does not lead to the best outcomes. And so when you really take a second back to step back and, and ask yourself, what is it that I'm worried about? What is it that I'm afraid of? And how is that impacting the way that I'm interacting with the person in front of me? That can mean that you're okay with understanding that, yes, the emergency department, we can recommend it, but if they don't want to go, how do we mitigate? How do we support? How do we make this a better experience for them? And and finding people who are willing, it's kind of the the next level of person-centered care is really to listen to what patients want and support them in their goals. Finally, we really look for folks that want some work-life balance. We believe that the best way to take care of patients is to take care of our employees. And what's interesting is there's such great data around the correlation between the patient experience and clinical outcomes and the clinician experience and the patient experience. And yet we haven't always focused on that as a core part of healthcare. And so really spending time making sure that they feel seen and heard and cared for and supported in the same way that we're trying to do for our patients. Yeah, that's really, really insightful. I think we know that patients crave more of that relational interaction. It makes it a better experience for them that builds trust. But that relationship also is the emotional fuel that 
propels care providers and gets them out of bed every day and, and all of that. So I think that your notation on that is, is really insightful. Now, I understand that Herself has also been working with a healthcare artificial intelligence company called Ambience about capturing medical notes during patient visits. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Happy to. Uh, this is a technology that improves both the patient and the clinician experience. And so what's interesting is that I can honestly say I have tried a lot of different scribing and AI solutions. And this is the first one that has actually done what it claimed to do. It actually works. And for me, this has meant that it is actually making things easier for the clinician. So the way it works is our clinicians are able to walk into the room. And when they walk out, the majority of their note is already completed without them having to type a thing in the computer. For the patient, this means the doctor is not staring at the computer the whole time, trying to type, trying to get information in. And so it brings up a really important point about technology and the power that it has to improve the healthcare experience. There's endless technologies being developed, all claim to improve the healthcare system. And I think really at the core is Herself Health is really trying to understand and focus on discovering and using technology that improves the patient and clinician experience. That is what we believe will lead to better outcomes, better results, better company, is that balance. Now, I think you mentioned to me at one point that you also have a Herself Health Fellowship in development. Can you tell us about that program? Many doctors don't learn about women's health, person-centered care, geriatrics, value-based care when they're in school. In medical school, I probably received five minutes of non-maternal women's health. I think six hours of nutrition. I luckily got to do a rotation in geriatrics, but not everyone gets that. And so what we want to do is be able to ensure that all of our clinicians have the opportunity to become experts in caring for women as they age, that that is part of the draw of coming to Herself Health is you will learn, you will grow. It is part of your career and development. And for patients, that means all of our clinicians understand what if impacts women disproportionately. They understand how to listen and to talk to women. What is person-centered care? How do we understand what people want? For me, is kind of this win-win as we design a comprehensive program to train all of our clinicians in women's health, per person-centered care, geriatrics, and value-based care. Do you have any advice for other care providers that are wanting to improve patient experiences for females and staff engagement as well? Are there any key principles or starting points that you can suggest? The first one is that your patients are people who have a story, they're human, and understanding what matters to them, treating them like partners on the journey, that is what is most critical to the outcomes. The second thing as I kind of think about it is the idea of training and untraining. The skills that most of us gain to become clinicians are not necessarily always the skills that produce the best clinical outcome. And so this learner's mindset and willingness to be curious about our own training and assumptions to learn, that is a core part of creating a healthcare model that is differentiated and that can scale, is taking the time to give people the skills needed to provide care in this person-centered way. And so it's something that I think is worth investing in. No question. 
Now, um, I'm checking to see if we have any questions from our listeners for you. But while we give folks a moment to do that, I'm wondering, do you have a favorite quote? And if so, why? What sticks out most to me is actually it's not a song or a book or a movie. It's the conversations that I have with my patients. And I remember one of kind of the, the pivotal moments of my career was talking to a woman who was 45. She had really advanced disease. And she said to me that I was the first person who had ever listened to her talk about her fears, about death, about disability, without sending her to a psychiatrist. And I remember thinking, what is wrong with our system that we can't talk to people about their fears and who they are and what they want? That was a pivotal moment in terms of kind of changing the way that I thought about we need to give people care that they want and make them feel seen and loved. It makes a huge difference. Do you have any advice for people designing digital health products for older women? One of the things that I love talking about most is the perception that many of us have that older adults don't use technology. It is a misperception because I would say over half of our patients actually come to us through Facebook. That's how they first heard about us is is a digital entrance into our experience. And so when you ask about how to design things for women, you ask them. You ask them about what it is that they want. And so we invest a lot in running trials with in digital trials with women. Where do their eyes go? How do they experience it? What do they think? How would they make it better? And so that would be one of my biggest recommendations is that I find that so much in digital health, we make cool things that we think solve a problem and we forget that person-centered design piece of asking them what they think, of using their advice to improve. Uh, and so my one piece of advice is if you're designing something for older women, ask older women to help you design. Sounds straightforward. We have a comment here I think you'll like. Uh, Judy says, I'm in Minneapolis and in healthcare. A friend recently became a patient at your clinic, and she was very impressed, really excited about what you're offering. Thank you for sharing. It's been fun to hear that from women as one of the big pieces of feedback we're getting, that they are referring friends. It's actually one of our biggest sources of referrals and new patients is referral from another patient. Great sign. Also from Dr. Mike Woodruff, hi, Kendall. Love your focus on seeing and hearing the whole person. What impact have you seen or expect to see on the cost of care or other outcomes? What is really interesting to me is that you have to start with a belief, a belief that understanding who people are, that they are more than just medicines, imaging, diagnoses, surgeries, store, you know, this, this like medical chart that we create, that that has a downstream impact on their health outcomes. And I think what's been really exciting for me is over the past few years, things like social isolation and loneliness have shown to have significant health outcomes. Uh, social determinants of health, we're finally talking about what are all of those other things that have an impact on people's health. And so once you start to understand that there's a lot of data that shows that the things that aren't traditional meds, imaging, surgeries, labs, those are not the only things that impact outcomes. For me, that is what is exciting when you think about, let's treat the whole person. And 
we do expect to see a lower total cost of care, both by providing people the care they want when they want it, that idea of her care anywhere. When can they text? Can they talk to us? Can they send a message via the the portal? How do they interact? That access improves the ability. Second, the experience of people feeling seen and heard and being part of their care plans, that improves adherence and outcomes because it's their plan, it's not ours. And so for us, we very much have a belief that those pieces of addressing more than just medical care, creating these shared care plans, bringing in the idea of community, that that will have an impact on total cost of care and utilization downstream, which is where there's that win-win business argument. We've got another question from Sharon Johnson. I'm really excited about your person-centered design approach. What type of continuous staff training to sustain and maintain the person-centered design in your organization's culture uh, as you continue to scale? Thank you for this question. This was one of the big pieces behind us bringing uh, a learning and development specialist in early. And it is also uh, a key factor as we were thinking about designing this herself fellowship. What does it mean to be a clinician at herself health? How do we train on the clinical knowledge, on the approach? What does it mean to give care? And then how do we help people know how they're doing? People want to do well. And so we are creating an ability to provide feedback directly to the clinicians of here's some of the the kind of pieces of feedback, the the NPS, the comments and suggestions that have come in from your patients. Here are things that you can do to continue to improve. Uh, That's been really important to us to be able to sustain this as we scale, because to your point, uh, you can't just teach it once. And being able to give feedback on how people are doing in real time, that is what sustains and continues to improve their behavior. Makes perfect sense. Dr. Ken, we can't thank you enough for talking with us today. It's really inspiring to hear what's happening at Herself Health, and we look forward to hearing more about your progress in the future. To our listeners today, thank you for joining us. We hope you found the discussion informative and inspiring. Be sure to join us for our next Humanizing Healthcare discussion. We'll be talking to Dr. Reg Belaber, the Chief Clinical Officer at Virtual Health, and we'll be discussing how they are transforming patient and staff experiences by heartwiring their care delivery approach. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of Humanizing Healthcare, please give it a rating, share it with others, and follow us at Fidelum Health on LinkedIn. And make sure you join us next time as we share more insights from another inspiring healthcare leader and innovator.